0: You are listening to the audio edition of Unstoppable Farce, the Mitch Maloney story by Mitch Maloney, read by the author.
1: Chapter 2. An Unpleasantness of Yahoos The Chuckle Bunker had been closed for over a year when the Yahoos came to town. I'd wrapped up the series of quarantine-themed YouTube videos in January 2021 when it was announced that the comedy clubs would be reopening. It might seem hard to believe now, but there were few that noticed. Live from the Chuckle Bunker, which eventually raked in tens of millions of views and became the subject of more than one graduate-level course, had only a few dozen views per video at the time. The comics everyone talked about back then had names like Burnham, Schumer, and Chappelle, names now lost to the winds of time. It seemed the plague of the had passed. So I put my name in and was selected for the New Talent Showcase at Yuck Yucks, the same club I had first performed stand-up at a year before. I whittled down the best material from my faux leather line journal to a very topical and extremely tight five. And then, another wave of (laughs) swept the town and the show was cancelled, along with everything else. I continued to write new material, a new tight five every week or so, trying to keep up with current events and hone my comedic voice. When the restrictions lifted again, I signed up at the other club in town, absolute comedy. Again, I was selected, and again the show was cancelled as another variant swept the continent. A few weeks later, I signed up for another showcase, but that got cancelled too, by now I had filled up my second notebook with material that was already mostly outdated and useless. As Joan Rivers once said, somehow, some way, every person in the arts has to find an accommodation with disappointment and embarrassment. They are the pollen in the air we breathe. End note one. Well, I had a pretty severe case of hay fever from all of that disappointment pollen. I noticed that some of the alt-amateur shows around town were still going on in some form or fashion. But it didn't seem like the risk to public health was worth the reward of watching my high-concept bon mots go over the heads of millennial (inaudible) d joke telling a**holes, which is what happened on the one occasion back in 2019 when I took part in such a show in some dingy diner. Besides, it struck me as a very clicky scene where... Anyone who booked a show would book the other bookers so that they would get booked in return and then feign hysterics at each other's lame material, creating an echo chamber of mediocrity. No thanks, not worth it. So I stayed in and wrote jokes. But I also became a student of the silly science. I watched every stand-up special. I listened to every comedy podcast and pored over any relevant book I could find at the public library, or the free mini-libraries that were suddenly all over the place. I read scholarly texts analyzing joke construction, and I read overstuffed volumes about the historical evolution of live comedy. But mostly, I read famous comedians' autobiographies, or FCAs, hundreds of them. I even developed my own Cartesian coordinate system to classify and graph them visually, using the scales of hack to slack and bark to snark as the axes. In other words, I was kind of obsessed. And also, maybe I had a little too much time on my hands. But in my mind, it was all in preparation for the big launch of my career. But after two years, it seemed like this thing might never go away. Which might mean the end of live comedy forever. Or at least a significant dummies nution
0: Uh sorry to jump in here, Mitch, but can we get another take on the last line?
1: What's the issue?
0: Yeah, I just got a little jumbled on
1: diminution. What's wrong with how I said dummies notion? Right, I'm just I'm hearing an S sound in the middle there. I'm not sure what word you're thinking of, Darberius, but I'm referring to a new thing that gets shunned by dummies. A dummy's new shun. Get it? Okay, okay. yeah, that's a new one for me. I'll tell you what. Why don't you stick to the knobs and the sliders in your little booth and let me worry about the words, okay? It's kind of my fortois. Um,
0: copy that, niche.
1: As I was saying, this whole might be the end of live comedy, which would be an incredible tragedy for me personally, as I was pretty sure that notwithstanding, I was on the precipice of a giant career as an F.C., As Gilbert Gottfried put it, hoping against hope is not an easy task, because hope itself is a mighty force, and when you push one mighty force against another, there's a good deal of resistance. If you're not careful, you might hurt yourself. And here I usually start to give up on the idea. End note two. That perfectly encapsulates my lifelong struggle with aspirational inertia. For four decades, I'd explored every creative pursuit my slack had allowed. As a young man, I'd been an actor, which evolved into performance art, culminating with my time as the artistic director for an interdisciplinary arts organization which literally went down in flames while under my watch. I then became an independent, small-gauge filmmaker, made dozens of short films, and toured the festival circuit which led to me running my own secret cinema-slash-speakeasy before I eventually ran out of steam. Somehow I detoured into a stint as the prop master for a cadre of washed-up elderly perverts producing wretched movies for something called the Lifetime Network. And when that fizzled out, I tried being a freelance black velvet painter for a while, before I got bored of that and decided to become a screenwriter instead. Yet none of these endeavors had resulted in the wealth or renown I had expected. Instead, I languished in obscurity, destitute, if not for the generosity of my capable partner, whose support I had started to fear was born more from pity than confidence in my genius. What humiliation could be next in the downward spiral of my creative dabbling? Podcasting? Heaven forbid! I was teetering on the brink of seeking some conventional form of employment just to help pay the bills. And then, I found comedy. And then, the (laughs) hit and my dream was put on ice for two years. But by the early weeks of 2022, it looked like that ice might be starting to thaw. For real this time. Infection rates were low and mandates were getting rolled back. Most of us were triple By now, anyway, so even if we did somehow catch it, we would be totally fine. The end was near. It had to be. Then came the Yahoos. It started as a cross country caravan of long haul truckers, upset about border restrictions. They came from the west, mostly, adding to their ranks of big rigs and pickups as they went, heading directly into the heart of my adopted city, Ottawa, aka the city that fun forgot. The timing and the target of this supposed protest were nonsensical. The restrictions were already scheduled for repeal. And anyway, they were imposed by the U.S. government and the provinces, not the Canadian Prime Minister, as they seem to think. They parked their trucks and SUVs and Winnebago's and vans and buses and motorbikes right in the middle of every major street downtown, for weeks, repeatedly blaring their horns, roasting pigs, setting up saunas and jacuzzis in the streets— and generally making out of themselves. But it wasn't just crimes against good taste and decorum. There were threats, violence, property damage. The maple leaf of the Canadian flag that I saw everywhere seemed less and less like a symbol of benign civility, and more and more like Adolf swastika. The yahoos would stride through the streets wearing those flags like capes and screaming the word freedom at the top of their lungs in an endless loop as they held the locals hostage for their unreasonable, impossible demands, as they tried to overwhelm democracy with mob rule, completely missing the irony. They were the dregs of humanity, and there were way more of them than I even knew lived in the nation. Yet here they were. It was a full-blown Yahoo occupation. Certainly anyone who lived downtown or had any understanding of Canadian civics would agree that the Yahoos had to go. I made some signs and joined in some counter-protests. But somehow, having drooling imbeciles wailing in my face about Bill Gates something, Freedom something, I'm not brainwashed, you're brainwashed, wasn't the reaction I was hoping for. Could humor be a better approach? I asked the Ottawa Comedy Community Facebook page for ideas for anti-occupation slogans or chants. Almost immediately, an administrator commented that this sort of post was inappropriate for the group and might be removed. Then, a bunch of other local stand-ups jumped in, hot under the collar that I disagreed with these freedom fighters that were trying to speed up the reopening. The last comment of the thread hurt the most. Who even are you, bro? In my mind, I was one of them, even though I hadn't performed in over two years and didn't know any of them personally. But I didn't realize how detached I really was until that moment. Who was I indeed, bro? And who did I want to be? Did I want to be one of them? The Ottawa comedy community was solidly with the yahoos, which ipso facto meant that the Ottawa comedy community was a bunch of yahoos. I deleted the post before they had a chance to. But before giving up on my new vocation, I decided to follow the Yahoos down into their rabbit holes, at least partway, to try to figure out where they were coming from. I watched hours of far-right YouTube videos and listened to scores of conspiracy-drenched podcasts, many of them produced from the center of the Yahoo occupation. I came up with a plan to infiltrate and mock them. I spent a few days gathering plaid flannels and patriotic props and making sarcastic signs. And then, just as I was about to infiltrate, a beefed-up police force sealed off the downtown core just a few blocks from our house and took them away, one by one. As Tracy Morgan wrote, when opportunity knocks, you take it captive. And note 3: But I had been too busy reading those words and the words of so many others to follow them. And now, Another golden opportunity had escaped me. In a way, I envied the Yahoos. They seemed to almost be creating the world they wanted to live in, or at least some kind of reality that made sense to them. Sure, they were bonkers, and yes, they were destroying society, but at least they believed in something. They believed in freedom to spread disease, apparently, but also they refused to patiently wait for life to return to normal. I realized that while I had one foot in the past, remembering my youthful glories, and one foot in the future, imagining a glorious career that may never come, the Yahoos had neither historical perspective nor the slightest hint of predictive reasoning. The Yahoos had both feet firmly in the present. And then, suddenly, something else happened that put everything in perspective Something that made my low-budget midlife crisis and the Yahoo occupation look like NBD as we used to say back then? Nothing but <coughs> cheese. A human rights atrocity shocked the world, forcing humanity to contemplate if we might be approaching the end of civilization itself when a first-rate stand-up was assaulted in public by a third-rate rapper who didn't understand how jokes work. Something inside me clicked. I wanted to fight back against the humorless hordes. Not by joining a slap-fighting league, although that was briefly considered, but with my witty chunks and clever callbacks. I would become an FC after all. I had to. But how? And then it hit me, late one night, when the whiskey had failed to take me out of commission. I went to the bathroom and splashed some water on my face. I looked up at my washed-up mug and thought back to that mirrored alcove in my childhood home. Maybe the guy on the other side of this mirror lived in a world without the coronavirus. Maybe he was about to become an FC. Maybe for him, it wasn't too late. Maybe there was a way to switch places. And maybe the way to do it was a good old-fashioned pact with the devil. Sure, it isn't the most original idea for how to make it in show business, but hey, if it worked for Paganini and Robert Johnson and Ralphie May, why not give it a shot? So, I offered up my soul to Bezelbub.
0: Hey, Mitch, I'm really sorry to...
1: Beelzebub Darberius, that is the name I invoked. I was intentionally creating a loophole for future contract negotiations. You obviously don't know much about show business. It was all part of my stratigum. Yeah, I, I stand corrected. I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, Dear Beezlebub, if you're listening, I'd like to offer you my soul, whatever that means, in exchange for becoming the biggest FC of all time. Not just one of those comedians comedians either. That's bull I want the general public to think I'm the funniest motherfucker that ever lived. I want wealth and I want fame. I want to live that life, starting now. Right here, page 19. Not in the possible future, like the yahoos do it, in the present. Let's make it happen. All of a sudden, I see a swirl of purple clouds rolling up behind me in the mirror, and then everything goes black. Next thing I know, I wake up in bed, covered in sweat. Holy I think it worked.
0: This audio edition of Unstoppable Farce, the Mitch Maloney story, was made possible by the 7th Reformed Church of Latter-day Witnesses, the Bleepers.